Thank you so much for listening to series one of the Media Careers podcast. We've had such amazing feedback and it's been brilliant to hear how the advice and guidance from our guests has supported and inspired you so much. I also just wanted to flag the show notes to you again. There are direct contact links to our guests within them, as well as links to other companies and organisations who can support and guide you further. So please don't forget to check those out as well. And finally, I have one small favour to ask you. Please could you press the small button to either follow or subscribe to the podcast so we can reach even more people who can hear from these amazing media professionals. Thank you so much and I really hope you enjoy series two. today is a freelance dubbing mixer and ADR recordist. Emma Butt started her career as a runner in 2007 before going on to be a dubbing mixer at various facility houses across London. She has been a freelancer for the last five years and has been an inspiring voice for more diversity and inclusion in the media industry. In 2022 this was recognised by Women in Film and Television by receiving the Achievement of the Year Award. More recently Emma has been a collaborator on 4PP, Channel 4 post-production which is designed to accelerate the careers of mid-senior talent from underrepresented backgrounds within post-production, craft and technical roles. I know this is going to be an absolutely fascinating chat today and I can't wait. Emma, welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. It's so good to see you today. Uh, so we start this podcast looking at what you were like as a young person. And I wondered, did you have any kind of hobbies that related to sound when you were young but or any other interests that related to sound or yeah tell us a bit about yourself um I it kind of happened when I was in my teenage years that I was really into drama and singing so when I was a kid I was really into dancing and then as I got older I got really into drama and singing so I sang in the church choir because I'm Irish and Catholic country church choir is part of your life um, and I used to sing in an after school choir as well and do a drama club. So music was always really, really important to me. And that's kind of how I fell into sound engineering. Um, it was when we were in school, we were recording an album for charity. And I, I think I was about 15 at the time. And I was really undecided about what I wanted my career to be in the future. But I knew I loved music and I was really passionate about it. And we went to this space to record the album and this guy came along with his mixing desk and his microphones and that was my aha moment that was it that was i was like this is really really cool that's what i want to do because i knew i could never be a professional singer um just i was okay but i was not going to be like the next beyonce or something um but i knew i wanted to be around music and around sound and that was the perfect kind of bridge gap to it Oh, that's amazing. So that must have been a really significant moment for you and where you thought your life might go. That's amazing when that kind of aha moment happens, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think I went home and started researching universities in Dublin straight away. Oh, no, oh, did you? It was that big, <laughs> really? Wow. My, my poor uni, um, the one that I eventually ended up going to, um, the way the education system works in Ireland is slightly different to over here. So at the time we had... Um, state universities, which were free, so you didn't have to pay for a third level education. And there was also private universities, which you did have to pay for. And sound engineering was such a niche subject that you couldn't really do it in state education. You had to go privately to do it. And I found this course and it was uh, Pulse Recording Studios in Dublin. And I applied to them when I was 16. 
um, <laughs> replied way too early <laughs> and bless them. They like, they wrote back to me and they were like, we really love your enthusiasm, but you're going to have to wait for another year and then get back in contact with us. And then we'll take it from there and we'll explain the process. And I was like, okay, cool. And just had to wait it out until I could apply again. Cause I had already decided too, that this was where I wanted to go. That was the course I wanted to do. That's incredible. I love that you wrote a letter that early. And did you realise that you were applying that early? Or was it just about showing your enthusiasm? What made you send that letter to begin with? I, I kind of hope that they'd like accept me really early so that I didn't have to stress about my exams in school. So yeah, maybe there was a reason there as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an exam person. I hated exams. I, I think most people who are in school can say, exams are not fun they're stressful and I was trying to find every way of avoiding them so that was my way <laughs> I love that I love that so it, uh were you academic though did you enjoy kind of studying at school oh god no yeah, um okay. absolutely it. and I think I purposely chose a course that really involved very little essay writing <laughs> you, so were, you were strategic in your approach in terms of which subjects you chose for that reason Oh yeah, big time. Um, I studied, again, our education system is so different, but you got a choice after your first year in secondary school about what your subjects were gonna be. So English, Irish, and maths were standard. You didn't have any choice in that, but you had a choice of language. So you could choose French or Spanish. And then you got a choice between business studies, geography, science, or music and art, and history actually as well. So mine were all music, art and history. Yeah. And there was a point before that moment in the church and uh, this guy coming along where I was kind of torn between doing something in music or actually going into study um, history and ancient archaeology, which is hilarious because I hate outdoors. I hate the mud. <laughs> and I don't know where the feck I was going with thinking <laughs> I was going to go to dig sites and uh, be an archaeologist. But that was my two options at that point. <laughs> amazing but then when this man came in with all of the kit it sounds as though it really did obviously it changed everything for you that's quite extraordinary and it, and it does show the power of kind of getting in front of young people and showing kind of the breadth of opportunities and the breadth of roles in the industry which is something that I talk about all the time but it really did have such an impact on you I love that I mean I never even considered it as a career I didn't know it existed and only for that interaction, I probably still wouldn't. It's not something that's ever shown to you in school. I think for various different reasons, funding probably being the main one. Mm. But I was just very, very lucky that our music teacher was so passionate about what we were doing. She wanted to give us this experience of recording an album. And that's how I, I got that interaction. And I remember standing there and asking him so many questions about the kit and how it all worked and the microphones and I was fascinated by the mix mixing desk and how it all connected up and that was it like I just needed that one interaction to show me this is something I could do yeah yeah incredible so then you did so then after you've written your letter and then you finished your exams <laughs> I love that you did that you so you went off to to this paid university what was it everything that you hoped it would be it was and it wasn't okay. it, it was in that the course was amazing and it was so varied so they didn't just focus on music and um, they did uh music radio live sound and post-production 
So you got to experience sound in every different kind of aspect and learn about it in really great detail. And you got hands-on experience as well. So you got to go into a venue and like basically rig everything up as if you were going to do a gig. And at the time I was kind of thinking, that's what I wanted to do. I, I still wasn't really interested in post, but then they also did the post section and that was taking a scene from the fifth element and we had to recreate all the sound design. And yeah, it was incredible. And they gave us um, Tom and Jerry cartoons as well. And it was obviously mute and we had to create all of the Foley and all the sound design. And that was our projects. This is again, why I chose that course because it was all practical and I didn't have to write an essay. (laughs) Um, But it also exposed me to teamwork and different personalities. And that was the part that was quite tricky. I mean, I'm an only child. And I'm also the youngest in my family. So I've been quite, besides my friend groups, I'm not used to being in large groups and having to compromise. Mm. And that actually, that made me have to do that. It really forced me. And it made me see that there's so many different opinions and you're not always going to get on with each other. And there's sometimes going to be clashes and you have to find ways to work around that. And I really struggled with that my first year. Um, there was definitely a few, few clashes with the blokes uh, on my team. But I got there and I think it was the best experience to have to go through that, even though I hated every second of it when I was having a clash with someone. Yeah, no, it's never fun having a clash with someone. But I think understanding the teamwork and the process that goes into that creativity and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in those moments to learn from them as well I think it's really important and obviously gave you good setup for then the rest of your career because this industry is full of teamwork right whatever role you happen to be in whether whether you're the director whether you're the producer whether you're the editor etc like it's full of teamwork and collaboration and and sounds as though that was a really critical kind of process for you to go through when you were when you were there yeah I mean uh like you said it's definitely it gave me a very, very good foundation for coming into this industry because I say it now to everybody that, you know, the projects that we work on in sound, they're not our projects, they're the clients. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are going to absolutely disagree with the decisions that they're making, but you have to remember at the end of the day that we're there to facilitate their vision, not the other way around. It's not our vision being facilitated to. And the experience at uni definitely helped inform that decision making later on, because I did have to take a step back in some of those group tasks and just be like, okay, I, I have an opinion. I may think that this is the way to do it, but I'm not always right. And I need to just accept that someone else is going to know something more than I do Mm. and just embrace it and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Really important lessons. Well, how long was your university course? Three years? Two. Two years. Okay. Okay, so then you, when you were at uni, do you still think that this is going to be the career for you? Are you still loving it from that aspect going, actually, well, this is definitely where I want my career to go still? I was convinced that I was going to be live sound. So while I was doing my second year of uni, I was also doing work experience in a venue. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah, I thought that's how it was going to go. And I, in my head, I was going to go and travel with bands and, uh, you know, do live sound. And the experience in the venue was amazing because it showed me how sexist that part of the industry was. And I was like, okay, this isn't for me. And also the hours were awful. 
So you used to have to get into a venue for kind of three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you do your setup, then you'd have sound check, then you'd obviously have the gig. Then after the gig was finished, there'd always be a DJ set. So you're looking at about 11, 12 o'clock at night at that stage. Mm. And then after the DJ set would finish, you then have to de-rig as well. So it used to be three o'clock in the afternoon start and I'd not leave until about three in the morning. Yeah, it's hardcore, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I have friends who still do that and I don't know how they have social lives. I don't know how they, they interact with people because you just, you don't have any life because um, your life is that venue. And when you're not there, you're kind of just sleeping. So I was undecided. I hadn't really considered post at that stage, but it got to the point where we were coming up to the end of our uni course. And I was like, oh, feck, I need to get a job. I need to be a responsible adult. Uh, what am I going to do? And so I just Googled um, sound studios in Dublin and I found contact details for every single one of them. And I emailed every single one looking for a runner position. So I didn't discriminate between music studios or post-production studios. I was just like, once it's sound, that's all I want. That's what I'm going to do. And I think I got quite a few replies back. Some of them were just like, you know, we're not hiring at the moment. Sorry. Um, so the one I ended up in was Green Scene Post-Production uh, in Dublin. And they wrote back and they were actually hiring for a runner position at that point. And so I got brought in for an interview and this was on a Monday and they were like, okay, we'll let you know by the Friday. I was still in university at this time. And by the Friday, they hadn't emailed. I hadn't heard anything. Um, I had pulled a sickie from university because I didn't feel like going in that day. Because <laughs> um, I think we were doing something that I had no interest in, which was like soldering wires or something. And <laughs> I was terrified of burning my hand. So I was like, I'm not going into that class today. <laughs> um, so sitting at home and I was like, you know what, I haven't heard from them. I'll follow up. I'll send them an email. So I did. And I found out quite later on that as I sent that email, they had actually hired another girl and they thought I was too timid to take on the job. Um, so they had hired this girl and she had come in and she had started her day and had gone off at lunch and never come back. She hated the job so much. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So my email landed in at just the right time. And they emailed me back and said, can you start on Monday? Wow. Yeah. So then I had to go into uni with my tail between my legs being like, really sorry, wasn't actually sick, but I've also been offered this job, but we have three months left in the course. What do I do? Like, can I take it? And they were like, of course, it'd be stupid if you turned it down. You know, this is what we're training you for. Um, and they were amazing. They were like, okay, we'll change your workload so that you can finish uni part-time and go and do this job full-time and it'll just be up to you to like make sure you stay on top of things and you pass your exams and I was like cool wow amazing I love that story there's a couple of things that strike me about that one is the fact that you just emailed all of the sound studios whatever they were doing just that because I think there's a bit about just going kind of trying to grab the attention of people and just going for it and seeing what might land and then also the second bit of just taking the initiative that actually if you'd not sent that email, the whole story could have been totally different and you might not have ended up with that job. And just prodding people sometimes. I think if, if there's any, you know young people listening to this or people trying to get into the industry, don't be afraid of prodding people again. If you haven't heard, it's probably just because they're busy or something's happened, but just showing them that you 
are interested, that you're passionate still, that you haven't gone away, that just getting to the top of their inbox again is always a good kind of nudge for people to go, oh yeah, I must get back to that person or I must, oh, they, they are still interested. And I love that. And obviously for you, it was super significant. Like it changed the trajectory of what happened to you next. Amazing. Yeah. And I say the same thing to young people as well, because I find that with my inbox now, um, that I've been working in the industry a, a while, I do get emails from young people and I actually do say when I get back to them, if I haven't responded to you in a few days, please like do a follow up. I was like, I, I always say, don't be afraid to pester me because my inbox gets so busy that emails do get lost. And, yeah. it, you know, unfortunately, you do kind of forget because there's 20 million things going along and you sometimes have clients like calling you up emailing you, ringing you, asking for changes or fixes or something. And you just forget. So the pestering thing, I say pester as if it's a bad thing. It's not, it's a good thing. Mm. It's always a positive, always do that email. Yeah, totally. Pester away, definitely. Um, so how was that first runner's job then? You kind of, that must've been quite full on in that first few months, kind of balancing out uni and getting your head up to speed with a new job. Was it what you expected it to be? I mean, pretty much. I, I was quite young at that time. I was only 19. Mm. Um, so I had started uni when I was 17 and then finished when I was 19. And I think I just kind of went with it. I didn't really go in with any expectations. I will say one thing, actually, and I, I think it's always important. And I was so embarrassed about admitting this for years, but I've just finally embraced it. I had the worst attitude coming out of university. <laughs> Did you? I, oh my God, it was so bad. And I think any of my former colleagues in Dublin will absolutely agree with this statement. <laughs> if they're listening. I, if they're listening, yeah. Um, I came out and thought I knew everything because I had done that university course. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. I can go in, I can go into a studio, I can work on this TV show. I knew feck all. Um, <laughs> Uni is amazing for so many different things and for learning all the basics and the foundations. And like I said earlier about teamwork and working with different personalities, but it's a very, very different environment to when you go into your actual job, like a facility and you're under time pressures, you're under different expectations from clients. You're dealing with people who are under really tight and strict budgets. And you need to kind of live up to those expectations and to be able to manage those expectations as well. Yeah. And so there is so much to learn and learning the equipment as well was totally different in that environment. Mm -hmm. So when I started as the runner, we kind of work in shifts. So you do like eight to five, nine to six, or um, I think it was like 11 till nine or one till nine. So a late shift depending on my shift, I would actually either go in early in the morning or stay late. If I was in early in the morning, I'd go in and sit in with the engineers and kind of learn how things worked. And if I couldn't do that, if I was on the late shift, I would ask them for like a simple VO session or something that I could work on in my own time and give it back to them to get feedback. So that's what I was kind of doing as soon as I started there. I think I was there about a month. And then I approached all the sound team and asked if I could kind of learn with them and sit in with them. That's um, interesting. Yeah, it, it's one of the things that I notice when I go into facilities now, runners are really afraid to speak to the departments that they want to work in. Mm. 
and they think they need to be there for quite a few months before they can approach those staff members and ask for help when actually you should do that straight away they look people are so willing to impart knowledge and to share and to help people kind of progress they're like if you don't say it sooner rather than later they'll think you have no interest and you're just there because of the job yeah yeah and what i love about that though emma as well is that you were still gunning for the sound bit you hadn't forgotten about that so even though you were running it was like actually i'm not i'm still gunning for this and i'm going to absorb and learn as much as i can and and, I, and you're absolutely right people are more than willing to give their time so i think asking anybody who you know in any department that you're interested in is always a always a good thing so you're in this facility you're running what do you how do you then navigate your next move had you thought about what your next career move might be i knew that i wanted to stay in that facility in that company i loved it i loved it there it i was kind of like an outcast growing up because i'm half pakistani half irish growing up in ireland being mixed race you you don't fit into the conventional box and I was always had that creative side of my brain so like I said I was into music and art more so than practical things like business studies and science (laughs) and I always felt like I, I didn't really fit in until I got to that facility and I met so many people who were creatives and had that creative brain and were absolute nerds about sound and this is what they loved and I I just loved it. I felt like I finally found my people. So I knew I wanted to stay there and I knew I wanted to be in the sound department, but I just, I didn't know how I could kind of make the next step because usually you have to wait for a position to open up. So my idea was just show them that I really, really want this. And so that's why I was kind of staying late or coming in early. And I volunteered to do any extra work that they needed and management noticed so after six months they called me in and they gave me a promotion and they they kind of said okay we know you want to work in sound we're going to have a position but not for another six months we want you to work in audio bookings for six months get to know the clients and then we're going to move you into the audio department but you have to do this first you know are you willing to do this and I was like yeah, of course, like no brainer. <laughs> of course, I'm going to do this six months on reception grand as long as I get into audio. And that was it. So they kind of decided my next steps for me. Um, I still remember the conversation with my boss. He, he used to uh, had these like amazing pair of heels that I used to wear. Um, they were like these black and white kind of I don't know, Mary Jane style heels that I wore as a runner, which I can tell you was not a smart plan when you're running around like carrying teas and coffee. Um, but I used to wear them because I love them. And when we were in having this meeting, he pointed out my shoes and he was like, um, you know, I, I want another woman on my sound team because I think other women will feel comfortable with you in the room you know, they'll be able to discuss things that you would probably mutually like, like shoes. And <laughs> he pointed out my shoes. And I remember coming out of that meeting absolutely furious because I was like, I, I don't really want to be hired because of my gender. But also he was totally right. And he had a very, very valid point in that I did end up having a lot of clients. I ended up starting work in kids animation and Again, the guidelines over in Ireland are slightly different to the UK. So 
a lot of the time the parents wouldn't be in the room when the kids were working. There wouldn't be a guardian in the room. Okay. So they would feel more comfortable walking into a room and seeing that I was the recordist. Mm -hmm. And we would usually have a female heavy um, room. So there would barely be any men in there. And I think it put the parents quite a lot at ease and it put the kids quite a lot at ease. Mm. And I also had two sweet jars sitting in my room so that they could help themselves. And I would send them back to their parents, hopped up on sugar, which I'm sure I got cursed about quite a lot. <laughs> but it was, yeah, uh, that kind of, that decision by him really impacted the future of my career. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's a, oh goodness, there's so many bits of that story, but the, the fact that you were doing that extra work to show your interest because you were interested because that's what you wanted to do but then that that did get noticed by management and then they as they as you said they then put this almost like a career development plan in place that actually this is what you need to do first and this is where you're going to get to and the and this is how how and when we're going to achieve it i mean amazing by your by the management there to recognize your potential and to put those kind of mechanisms in place to enable you to kind of grow and succeed within the company. I, I love that. And, and the more that we can do that as an industry to help young people kind of navigate those next steps, because I think it is confusing. And sometimes you don't know how you're going to get to somewhere, you know, you want to get over to here, but then how do you even build your path to do that? So kudos to the, to the guy that enabled you to do that. Amazing. Yeah. He kind of, I got very, very lucky with that company because he did that for the rest of my career in screen scene. I would go into, we had annual review meetings and I would always go in being like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to like move on to next. Like, when can I do it? Um, and he'd be like, okay, calm down. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> take a breath. Um, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. And he, he would kind of like get me to look at the bigger picture and get me to see different ways that. I needed to improve or I needed to learn a bit more before I could take on to the next step. And he was great. Like he was definitely firm, but fair. Yeah. And he really was invested in his staff. Mm. And the biggest thing that I think I saw was when the recession hit in 2008, mm. he kind of sat every person in the company down and said, okay, other people are going to be dropping their rates to get work in. I'm not going to be doing that because I value all of you. And I think people should be paying a fair price for getting to work with all of you and the time and energy that you put into all of their projects. So I'm not going to be doing that. And I, I think that's always really stuck with me that he stuck to his guns and was like, no, you are very skilled. You're highly trained and that needs to be valued. And I think quite a few people don't appreciate that anymore. Mm, that's extraordinary and to have the kind of strength of character to do that in a recession and and know all of his staff's worth and the, as you said the talent and the skills that they have that's amazing so how long were you there for then in total nearly 10 years mm, that's a really significant significant period of time isn't it and and then what made you then decide to move on what were the key factors because you moved to london right yeah and work in some other facility houses so what what in what was the key factor for you to make that decision and to leave screen scene? I, I kind of reached a point where I couldn't go any further. So in my last year in Dublin, um, I think I was nominated for two or three different awards over a period of a month. 
and it was across like a uh, documentary animation and then a uh, short form commercial as well. And I really, really wanted to do high end TV drama, but there were so many more people ahead of me in my department that it was kind of like, well, I can stay and be happy with my lot and, you know, be the ADR recordist, do documentaries, entertainment. They were going to put me on my first high end TV drama job. But I would have been looking at maybe another two years before I even got onto the next project that was a high end TV drama because there were so many other people there. And I had to make the call whether I was happy with that or if I wanted more. And London was always in the back of my mind. Like I was always talking about it. I felt more at home in London than I did at Dublin because we had family over here. I've been coming over here for years. And I was like, I think it's finally the time to just take the leap and see what happens. So I remember emailing loads of different companies over here and I ended up having, I think it was seven meetings over three days. Uh, for possible jobs. I don't do things by half, I think, as you're gathering by now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I came over and I met with loads of different companies and loads of different facilities. And it was really, really difficult coming from Ireland to the UK because no one wanted to pay attention to my credits. And the only jobs I was getting offered were runner positions. Oh, wow. Okay. Or sound assistants. And at this stage, I mean, I had 10 years under my belt. I was nominated for awards. I, you know, I, I was already a senior mixer, but because it was Irish credits and not English credits, no one wanted to pay attention to it. So I had to make the decision whether I was prepared to kind of take a step back in order to go forward. The company that I ended up working with first, I went in as a senior sound engineer, but it just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't a good company and I kind of knew that, not that it wasn't a good company, it just wasn't the right company for me. Mm. And I knew that pretty quickly. And I remember calling up my boss in Dublin being like, I, I've made a mistake, can I come home? Can I have my job back? <laughs> like, no, uh, you are in the right place. You've made the right call. You're just not in the right company for you. Mm. Stay there for as long as you can, but try and find the right fit for you. Um, And so I did, and I ended up going to another facility and that, I think I was there for a year. And again, lovely company, but it just wasn't the right fit. So moved to a different company. And all the while, while I was doing this, I was trying to build up my reputation over here. So I joined the the Women in Film and TV mentoring scheme. I got involved in that and that was absolutely amazing that changed a lot of things for me as well that gave me a lot of confidence that I didn't have because coming from Ireland to the UK my confidence got eroded Mm. because I was just being recognized as a sound assistant after all of those years it was really really hard to take and to have people kind of criticize my work so harshly it took a lot out of me Mm. So the Women in Film and TV mentoring scheme just gave me a lot of that confidence back and put me in a really, really good position. Um, I was also, I joined AMPS, which is the Association of Motion Picture Sound Engineers, which is the longest name ever to try and say out loud. I prefer saying AMPS. Um, And I was trying to make sure that people knew who I was and that I wasn't just some little Egypt from Ireland after coming over and, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. 
I was trying to prove that I did know my stuff and I I had worked really hard before then and it did work I, I mean everybody hates it but I networked my backside off mm. and every young person that I meet they're like I hate networking it's really uncomfortable I hate it I think everybody hates it mm. but it does work yeah it's critical isn't it and is what enables you to move across the industry and find different jobs as well because the broader your network the broader the potential opportunities right your journey from Ireland to London is huge and I don't think you should underestimate the kind of the impact that that had on you and and it's no surprise really that it kind of dipped your confidence a little bit just because it's such a huge move and you didn't know many people here you didn't have a network but I think obviously that women in film and tv mentoring program was really significant in building your network and building your confidence and allowing you to engage with lots of different people across the industry so um amazing oh that program is amazing and i'll put the the links into it in the in the show notes as well so then you decide to go on to be a freelancer so that's another significant moment as well you've got like kind of lots of these different chapters in your in your story that kind of have real moments in time that kind of change the trajectory of your life but being a freelancer is a big step too, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. It is definitely scary because you, you have no one around you. you. You lose that team. You lose that security of having other people to help you and guide you, which I had kind of had throughout my whole career. But it was also something that I really wanted because I wanted to have more control over my own time and my own schedule. And I wanted to invest a lot more of my free time into diversity and inclusion, which I couldn't really do in a facility. Mm. You know, they, if you were needed for a job after hours, you know, you did need to be flexible to a degree. And I wanted to have the power to say no. Mm. So I could concentrate on maybe doing a speaking engagement for diversity and inclusion for things that were focused solely on getting more women into the industry or getting more underrepresented voices into the industry or mentoring more. And it was just really hard to do that while I was in a facility. So that kind of played a big part into to go and freelance, having control. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's why lots of people become freelancers is exactly that, having more control over your time and being able to time manage your time much better and give yourself that those gaps where you need them. And how and how is it freelancing? How do you find how do you find your work first of all? Let's let's look at that. Is it working for the facility houses that you'd already worked with, or is it with different companies? How do you build up your your schedule well, with that? It all came back to the networking um, and getting myself out there when I first came over to the UK. It as soon as I went freelance, I had to email every single facility that was in London. So again, it comes back to just Googling post-production facilities, London, finding out the contact details and emailing every single one of them and just saying, this is who I am. This is my CV. This is what I've been working on, making sure that was UK focused this time Mm -hmm. so that people realized I I was in the UK. I wasn't just in Ireland and it was really, really slow start, but it did, it it did kind of pay off and that facilities got back to me when they needed an extra set of hands. And I just kind of built from there. But mm. the other thing that really helped was I had gotten to know a few different Saudis um, in the UK industry. And as soon as they heard I went freelance, you know, I reached out to them for advice. And I was like, you know, how how do you set your rates? Because that's not something that anyone ever kind of publicly discusses or 
kind of teaches you about. And I was like, how do you kind of, what about your templates? How do you get work? And one of those freelancers came back to me and was like, actually, there's a job coming up that I can't do. I've been offered. Do you want me to put your name forward? And it kind of all kind of spiraled from there. And then it just gets into a case of people recommending you because they know you and they know you're going to be trustworthy. So I just continued to network and build up the people that I knew. And it was a case of either getting recommended, uh, recommended by friends or facilities reaching out after I had emailed them and staying in touch with the facilities. Mm. It's not just send one email off and then forget about it. It's every six months, every, you know, three months, even just checking in and saying, you know, I'm still here. here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget about me. Because I think people take for granted that you can just email once and then that's it. But it's again, coming back to inboxes get jammed up and you get lost in there and just making sure that you're always top of the inbox and people remember that you're about. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then do you think you'll stay as a freelancer now? Is that, is that it? And they're kind of never going back? Or Yeah. Uh, I've been offered a few staff positions over the last few years and I've said no. And it's always a funny reaction to from companies when I say no. And I do have to make sure that they realise it is absolutely nothing to do with them. There's been some amazing job offers that, you know, I think further down the line, I might regret never taking them up on it. But right at this moment, I'm like, I don't want to go back to being staff. I really love my independence and having so much choice. And, you know, this year, not so much, but previously I have been able to decide projects I want to take on and I don't want to take on. And I can focus a lot more on not necessarily free projects, but low budget projects that have a really good social issue at the core. So focusing on, there was one that I did last year, which focused on domestic violence, which I thought was really important to work on. Um, there's others this year that have been focusing on the environment and how we're absolutely destroying the planet and how we should be saving it. And it's kind of stuff like that, that I now have the power to be able to do those in my free time, even if people don't really have the budget for post-production sound. Yeah. Whereas if I was in a facility, I couldn't really make those decisions because it wasn't my choice. Yeah, yeah, it just gives you that flexibility, doesn't it? So Emma, I'd love to to know what advice you'd have for young people trying to get into the industry. What are your top tips and specifically thinking about the role that you, that you undertake in terms of um, sound mixing and or sound engineering what advice would you give to young people that think oh I kind of I like music or I kind of like I think I might like sound what what would your advice be I would say if you want to go the university route research universities that specialize in sound engineering specifically not just media studies it needs to be sound engineering and they will give you the the most skill and knowledge and practical experience that you can take on into a career. Um, If you decide not to go the university route, which university is not for everybody and it is not a necessity within this industry, you can absolutely do this job without a degree. Um, I would say, like I did, research all the post-production facilities in your area, whether that be London, Scotland, you know, whatever region of the country you're in, research those facilities and reach out to the client services manager. The big mistake that I see young people making is that they, if they want to get into sound or they want to get into grading, they reach out to the graders or the sound engineers, wrong people to 
be getting in contact with because they have no decisions over um, hiring of runners. The client services manager does. So reach out to them and ask about runner positions and go in as a runner. And then when you get in there, ask to sit in, ask to get small projects, ask if you can use the equipment in your own time and learn how to use that equipment. And that would be my second piece of advice is even if you go to university or you don't, there is free software on the internet that you can download and that you can start learning yourself. So Pro Tools has a, a free version. Um, there's another thing called Reaper, which is used a lot in video games. That's free to download as well. Um, there's others like Ableton Live and Logic, and I think they have a free trial version as well that you can download. Get to know that software inside out because as soon as you do, you're already ahead of someone else that might not have done that and you're already in a better footing to getting a position in a, a facility. The other thing would be research um, sound supervisors. So sound supervisors are freelance that hire their own crew and they always need a sound assistant. And it's something that people don't really realize you can do is you can skip facilities. You don't have to go to a facility. You can join a crew and they tend to be on the high end feature films. So research all the sound, uh, sound supervisors. If you have a favorite film, find out who that sound supervisor was on IMDb. Yeah. Find out if they have contact details anywhere on the internet, even if it's LinkedIn, reach out to them on LinkedIn and just ask if you can meet for a coffee. The biggest tip I can give anybody is if you ask to meet with someone, you ask to meet face to face, not on Zoom, offer to buy them a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. They will never ask you to pay. <laughs> they will never ask it. But the whole idea is that you're acknowledging that their free time is valuable that they are giving up something that they have very little of to come and meet with you and that you appreciate it and that you know that this is a big thing that they're doing. Because I think some people can take that for granted. And if you do that little gesture of just offering, you will stick in that person's mind and they are going to be probably more than willing to try and help you progress into your next step. Like I said, they will never ask you to pay. No, Not a chance. No, they won't. <laughs> Look, Emma, before you go, I, I wanted to just touch on the Channel 4 project that you're working on. It's a new initiative, but I'd love you to explain what your involvement is and also what it's hoping to achieve. Of course. So um, back in 2020, I wrote a report through the Sir Lenny Henry Centre on diversity and post-production sound roles. And I did it because as a mixed race woman working in the industry for oh, 16 odd years now, I'm usually the only woman on a team and I'm usually the only woman from an ethnic minority background. And even then I'm pale as feck at the moment. So mm -hmm. I am considered what what's called white passing. And it was just really, really frustrating to see that there wasn't more people working in sound who came from underrepresented backgrounds and there weren't more women and I wanted to know how bad the situation was and we don't really have any data. So I went and did this report and I found that out of the highest rated TV shows across all of the major broadcasters, out of 60 available job roles, only six were women and one person was mixed race. And I was told stories from different contributors for the, from the report and one of the things that came back was that 
people were getting to a point where they were working maybe in short form on commercials, but they wanted to work in high-end TV drama, but there was nothing that linked the two. There was no way for me to go from one genre to another. And there was no support, there was no training out there. And it was kind of a, a major barrier into getting more diversity into post-production sound. And I wanted to change that. So thankfully, I went to Channel 4, we had conversations. It took about a year and a half to get to the position that it is now. Yeah. But they were amazing. They were really, really engaged on it. And they were like, okay, well, what do we need to do? And I explained that Directors UK and BBC used to do this incredible scheme, and it was called the uh, Continuing Drama New Director Scheme. And what it did was take uh, directors from maybe a theatre background or a kids animation, and it would put them onto a continuing drama, but they would shadow for the whole process. So they would go in for casting, pre-production, production, and then post. And they would watch an experienced director do that process, and then they would take it over for a block or an episode themselves. And the whole thing, they would be fully paid. They would have a mentor throughout the whole process and they would get a credit at the end of it. And Directors UK did a follow-up report after the first year, and the figure showed that diversity increased and that it was having a positive effect. Mm. My whole theory had been, we can replicate that across different departments and it will work. Mm. It's already been proven. And Channel 4 were really open to it. So what we've done is basically try to replicate that in a way for post-production. So we have six cohorts, and they'll all receive skills gap training. So because we are a technical department, um, there's software that gets updated constantly that as a freelancer, you're not often able to keep up to date with. So they'll receive any skills gap training they need. And they're receiving six different masterclasses, three technical, three on personal development. So like managing your finances, confidence, um, how to sell yourself in an interview, like make sure you get that job, um, as well as like the technical aspects of like editing, Dolby Atmos, um, can't remember our other one. So they'll do all that and then they'll get placed onto a Channel 4 production. And on the production, they'll shadow the person whose job role they want to do. So whether that be an editor or a re-recording mixer or a dialogue editor, and they'll shadow for an episode and then they'll take on that job role for an episode. And again, through that process, they'll be fully paid and they'll receive a credit at the end. The idea is that that credit is basically gold dust mm. that helps you get your next job, but it's also exposing all of the participants to a new network that they never had before. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. Well, congratulations on um, putting that program together with Channel 4. It sounds as though it's going to have huge impact in, and very much needed, right? So, um, yeah, congratulations. I can't wait to see see everybody's careers fly after being involved in that. And, and one final thing, Emma, I just want to say congratulations on your Women in Film and TV Award. I mentioned it at the top, but that was at the end of last year. That must have been a, a really amazing moment for you in your career and kind of celebrating all of the work that you've done to date. It was a bit surreal. Like that is an award ceremony that I try to go to every year. And there has been so many incredible women who have taken that stage before me. I mean, I still remember, um, I think it was Dia Khan, Mm -hmm. one for a documentary one of the years and that her speech still resonates in my head every time I think of her or I see her name. Um, I think Beryl Virtue as well. 
I still to this day remember when she won, I think it was like the special recognition award or it, it was one of the special awards. And I remember everybody in the room being so silent. You could hear a pin drop while she was giving her speech to then be following in their footsteps and having to get up on that stage and deliver a speech to a room full of people that I respect entirely um, was insane and absolutely nerve wracking. And although I said I wouldn't drink before I got on stage, I, I think I have to have a view to steady my nerves because I was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a big auditorium, isn't it? Those awards and the, I mean, they are absolutely incredible. Uh, but you were you were totally deserving of that award and that accolade. So um, congratulations for that. And um, I hope you maybe celebrated a bit more afterwards too, once you'd given your speech. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so Emma, as we wrap up, I'd love to know three reasons why you love this industry so much. Oh, that is a tough question that I've been thinking about. Um, I guess the teamwork. Um, being Having involved. gone through all that at university, now you're like, yeah, it's the best bit. <laughs> I know, it's hilarious, but I, I do love it. I love that you get to meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds and you get to learn about so much. Like yeah. there's so many different cultures and experiences that I've learned about just by the different people I get to work with. Yeah. So definitely that. Getting to work on different projects, I don't get like no job, no day is the same. Mm. And that's one of the things that I love is that every day is totally different. Every day is a new project. I'm learning something new. I'm kind of problem solving a different problem that I've never faced before. Um, that's definitely another one. The third one, it's really hard to answer this in a coherent way. <laughs> okay. It's the feeling of knowing that you are involved in something that brings so much joy to people. And I think we take that for granted so much. Like we get so involved in the technical and creative aspect of it. We forget that someone is going to watch this and this could be the show that, you know, if they're having a bad day, they turn it on and it cheers them up and it makes them feel good. Mm. And we get to be involved in that and we get to be a small part of that process. And that's kind of special. And I don't think we appreciate that enough. Yeah. So I think it's that, it's that feeling that we're, we're doing something, we're not saving lives. It is making telly and I do get that, but it is also contributing to people's happiness at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. And I don't think that was felt more than during COVID as well, when everybody was so isolated and alone and actually entertainment was a huge part of everyone's lives and, that, and that's continued to grow. Um, so yeah, I totally relate to, to that feeling. Well, look, Emma, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a joy speaking to you. Good luck with all of your freelance projects as you go forward. And we can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thanks for having me.